Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. It's one o'clock. It's a Wednesday. And every Monday and Wednesday, Guy and I do trading spacers. They're sponsored by CME Group. CME Group is a sponsor of the podcast on the tape that we do with our good friend, Danny Moses. He is our co-host here. So we do these just to talk markets as the markets are live and what's going on. And every once in a while, we're bringing a special guest like Brady Cobb is going to come on in a little bit after we talk about markets here. Danny, Really important day here, which is why we wanted you to join us on Trading Spaces here on Twitter Spaces. Um, guys, let's get into it. Guy, what's your take here? Because you and I have been talking markets the last few days on our market call, which you and I do Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays live at 11. You can follow that on our Twitters. Um, but this is kind of interesting. Big reversal day. You, you have the things that we thought last night when we were on Fast Money. We were talking about Alphabet's earnings. We are talking about AMD's earnings. They're screaming. And then the PayPal, though, interestingly, gets worse. Okay, At the time, we were talking about that down 15%. It's now down 26%. And we have a very, very bifurcated market. Um, I think it's a really important day. That's why we wanted Danny to make sure he got his tail over here to talk with us. But, Guy, what's your take right here? And, it, and may I say, for the record, um, it is a good-looking tail. Well, at around 11.15 today, I don't know what was going on, but, you know, the NASDAQ briefly went negative. S&P went flat. Dow traded probably unchanged to slightly lower. And to your point, you know, although things look great and those Google earnings were – outstanding and then you can say the same about subsequently amd microsoft and apple there's some things under the surface that once again do not look particularly strong so i i am going to be fiercely watching that's a uh one of those adjectives that the former president used to use um how this thing closes today because i think it's gonna be a huge tell and if you get any weakness whatsoever out of facebook um and again, I don't know who she is, but Katie barred the door. Well, Danny, so this is one thing you and I were talking about kind of earlier is that, you know, the names like Alphabet, okay, and uh, Microsoft and Apple, the ones that were kind of, you know, these are the biggest names in the market. And they were like really masquerading some very, very bad performance in the market for the last six to nine months in dozens, if not hundreds of stocks in the market. And here we are. We had that really sharp decline. The S&P 500 was down a little more than 10%. The NASDAQ from its highs in November is down 18%. This is at the lows last week. And then we had Microsoft and Apple earnings and guidance, which really seemed to put a floor on things. I think last night, Alphabet, people were feeling pretty good. But the question I have have is that are we in for more of the same where those names can kind of keep things you know afloat but there's continued devastation below and what's happening now it's it's kind of migrating you know um if you think about paypal was a 300 billion dollar market cap stock you know six months ago and now it's south of 200 losing 25 percent one day are we seeing this virus spread <laughs> Yeah, I think the money's hiding in fewer and fewer places. And we knew those numbers would be good. I mean, those were great quarters, obviously, out of Google. Um, and so money's flocking there. But, you know, we had, I would call, a bear market rally. It was the end of the month. 
I mean, obviously the market can't go down every day. So we had people kind of buy the dip, buy the dip until it doesn't work. But I'm looking at taking a step back and looking at the broader picture here. And that is the fact that we got through the Fed meeting. They're going to hike in March. They're pretty much done with tapering. Right. So that's going to be ending. That's kind of set in stone. And now if we keep if we start to see economic numbers, the Atlanta Fed came out and they're wrong a lot. But Atlanta Fed is lowering their expectations for GDP. You saw jobless claims. Yes, it's probably affected by Omicron or the ADP number, I should say, you know, affected by Omicron. We're going to get the jobs number Friday. We just crossed the national debt at 30 trillion. By the way, we just increased the debt ceiling from 28.9 trillion to 31.4 trillion. Right. We're already halfway there. Granted, they'll probably raise that again. But what's really interesting is I think when we look past kind of the earnings season here and an excuse to kind of buy certain names, certainly it's still evident that if you miss, you get killed. Right. If you miss a number right now, you're probably going to get oversold and, you know, and, and drilled here. So I think this is a sell into strength. Um, don't kid yourself. If you own a crappy name and you're getting a lift here, I would use the opportunity that you promised yourself two weeks ago. You said, I swear, if it gets to X level, I'm going to sell. Well, if it's at that level, you should probably be you know, selling it. So I'm preparing for um, a very tumultuous uh, February and March, I think, as we you know, kind of get into the season here. So now that we're kind of getting through, we're more than obviously, I think, what, halfway through earnings maybe, Dan, at this point or, yeah. or close there. So oh, I'm, not, I'm not bullish at all on this market action. So. Well, Guy, on Monday night's Fast Money, um, Tom Lee um, of Fundstrat and FS Insight, um, you know, he had called, I guess, at the end of last year for some choppiness in the beginning of the year. He expects, obviously, much higher levels by year end. But he came on the show on Monday and said to you or said to the audience that he expects a violent, violent. V, V reversal here. And we did, you know, listen, it looked a little bit more like a W. It was a bit of a chop last week, right? But then we broke that downtrend that had been in place for a few weeks here. Um What's your take on bear market rallies? You know, Danny and Guy and Dan, we're old people here. Maybe there's some 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 younger people here and have not experienced a protracted bear rally, a bear market rally. But is that what we're in, Guy? Is that what I we just so. had? And, and the counter trend rallies in markets that are now maybe turning the other way are the most violent ones you'll see in equities and commodities, and quite frankly, in currencies as well. And We've seen that a number of times. Go back a couple of Mondays ago when the Dow was down over a thousand points and look at that bear market rally. Now, again, there's a lot of chop here and some of the most difficult markets to trade are these markets because, you know, everybody's convinced they finally bought the bottom and then they just get it's what we call getting chopped up. <clears throat> and I think that's what's happening here. And I'll stand by it. I mean, I think that I think the top's been put in for quite some time. I hear what Tom Lee is saying about this violent thing, but I also think they were underestimating some of the things that might take place post-Olympics in the form of China-Taiwan and this continued problem with uh, Russia and Ukraine. I don't think the market is taking that into consideration whatsoever. I totally agree with that. And look, I'm now with a firm belief, and I've been saying this for a while, that if you told me that the 10 years at 1.5%, I'm going to tell you that the S&P is probably around 4,000 at this point. So careful what you wish for. Everyone, again, is looking for rates to subside and the you know, specifically the 10 year yield to give them the buy signal. My feeling on this all along, anyone that's been listening to us knows this that you actually want 2%. You want 210, you 220. Now that comes with consequences on the other end, but that tells me we're in a healthier environment. And what I'm seeing right now, the 210 at 60 basis points, I think it keeps shrinking. Like yes. I said, I think Fed's going to go. And this interesting article today on Bloomberg, let me just put this in perspective for what, you know, we're really looking at here on the national debt level. And I'm sorry to keep harping on this. 
but as we cross 30 trillion, you know, it's a little mind boggling. So if in, in 2001, the average interest that we paid on our debt on the federal level was 5.4%. Today, it's 1.5%, right? We paid $562 billion last year just on interest on the, on the national debt. That's like 22%, I think, of what we pay in income tax to the government. Can you imagine like what this is about to look like? So what level can the 10-year yields, the average duration on U.S. government debt is about five to six years right now, so it's shorter than it used to be. But just look at the five-year yield. What level can we really sustain where we're paying north of 50, 60 percent, right, of our income tax going towards paying the national debt? It really becomes an issue. And I go back to that's why we can't have high rates, unfortunately. Meanwhile, in Germany, I mean, the 10-year yield, you know, granted, is now in positive territory. Yes, it's four basis points, everybody, four. But look, look where it's come from. They have a little bit of runaway inflation going on there, too. They're going to be so hopefully everybody's raising rates so that the dollar doesn't smash records and move that much higher, because that's what will happen if we're the only game you know, in town but, doing you it. You know, it's interesting, yeah. Danny, I'm with you. You know that. And and I know what you're saying, that, you know, if rates go higher, it's going to be catastrophic. But just because we're screwed doesn't mean rates can't go higher. Now, they'll do what they can to keep them, you know, at bay. But that genie's out of the bottle, in my opinion. And I've been saying for a while now, and I know you know this, I think the twos, tens are going to 30 basis points. And I think they're getting there in the form of one and a half in the two and 180 in the 10. And that's not that far away. And so we'll see what happens if and when we get there. So I mean, I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is this is my belief that the Fed unwinding its balance sheet, I don't think really does happen. And the Fed statement that they'll, you know, main, they'll let mortgage-backed securities kind of roll off, you know, before they will treasuries. I would agree with that because what they don't want to do, to your point, guys, signal that they have, well, they really don't have much control over anything these days, but that they truly lose control because that is the ultimate washout, right? If the people feel like the, the Fed has lost control of the markets, which may happen inevitably, but again. So, yeah, Danny. And, you know, and, and real quick, Dan, I got to interview Novogratz last week in Florida, and we talked about a lot of these things we're talking about now. And one of the points he's made Again, things that we've talked about, you know, debt to GDP in this country is about 130 percent, which is just mind boggling. If you think about how just totally screwed we've gotten ourselves and it's it's collective fault. I get it. But, you know, one of the things he said is there's really no there's no developed economy that's really ever come back from that. And that's really scary shit. So they've dug a huge hole. So buy Bitcoin guy. No, I listen. Is it Bitcoin? I, you know, I don't, I don't. No, know. I know. It's really funny though. I think that some of these macro guys, and I'm not, you know, again, I, you know, Novogratz is is a legend, I guess, right? And um, you know, it just seems like a lot of these narratives are very, um, they're very convenient for this kind of Bitcoin thing. And and I will tell you, I, I think if Bitcoin were to go low, and we'll talk about that after, it, it might, it, it might just like invalidate so many of these kind of macro arguments that are going on. I'll just say this, Danny, about your call on the on the ten year. You know, Amanda has a chart right here, this thing. I mean, you, you look at this thing. It looked like it wanted to break out. It spent a little time above that kind of 1.75 level. It got above 1, uh, you know, 8.5 or something like that. You do the uptrend from the summer lows of last year. You look at that 200-day moving average. I mean, this thing's got one and a half written all over it. So I guess the question is, what scenario? We have this jobs number coming out friday morning okay um and i saw a headline that the white house is already bracing for a week january jobs number let me ask you this is 
is the 10 year telling us that inflation expectations are basically, you know, the highest ones are, are in the rear view mirror here. And then what does that do to this narrative? Because that's what the 10 year, the weakness of the 10 year is kind of telling me a little bit um, just that, that inflation, you know, the, the heights and the fears of 40 year high CPIs is basically behind us. I think that the, I do think there's, listen, there is supply chain shock, which is causing certainly certain things to probably be extended slightly higher than they you know, than they would have gone. And that is having an impact on the consumer. You're seeing it. You're seeing it in consumer confidence expectations on what they're spending money on services instead of goods. So that if they stop spending, by definition, it's self-fulfilling that, you know, things will, will slow down. But, Dan, I, I do believe, like I said before, that I don't think that the 10-year – I think the 10-year yield is potentially telling us if it goes to one and a half – that the market is going to slow, not just as a result of inflation, but the Fed raising rates. And again, that's why I think they're kind of three and done. We can talk about that on, you know, on our normal podcast, but we're kind of saying the same thing here. But I just think this, this should we save that for the podcast that we're going to tape tomorrow afternoon? It's called On the Tape. All right, let me ask you this, though. Um, why do you think we are seeing the reversal in some of these high valuation tech names that we just thought were dead? You remember the Niedermeyer stocks? Yeah. Um, they're absolutely getting destroyed today. So anything that has, you know, Guy and I did, um, you know, we launched another for you guys listening here. We launched another podcast on technology called OK Computer. It drops Wednesday mornings. Go check that out in the podcast store. People follow it, rate it, review view it share it that's how people find it um but we had a conversation with rick heitzman he is a tech investor vc um at first mark guy jumped on yesterday afternoon and we were talking about listen some of these um you know valuations that were trading these SaaS names 20 30 40 times you know sales sales okay have absolutely gotten destroyed down 40 50 some 60 some percent or so but some of these things still have really fat price to sales one of them okay is snowflake which is down five percent today 80 plus billion dollar market cap company only expected to do two billion dollars in sales danny you can do that math here there's still a lot of stuff that is supremely out of whack here no matter what rates do so i'm just curious is this going to be the thing if the good news by the mega caps, the MAGA names, okay, is behind us now? We all know that. Like you said, we expected them to have good quarters. If they didn't, they're going to be dead. And now are we in the hands of those who are just worried about, you know, ex- obscene valuations? I think that's just the risk on, risk off, day to day, jump around, right? These Everyone knows, I mean, the terminal value on these companies, or not just say, terminal but what people are looking at over the next kind of six to 12 months is certainly lower from here if you're doing any fundamental analysis and the cream is rising to the top and i kind of said when we started this today that i think yeah the leaders the you know the the large the top five names in nasdaq that continue to kind of carry the day right are carrying the day even more so i think going forward and if you lose one of those and we've attempted to lose kind of some of those key names over the last kind of four to six weeks during this volatility it's becoming more and more pronounced. And so that's more and more dangerous as far as I'm concerned, because how many places can you go hide in at these valuations? So long-winded answer to your question is, Dan, I wouldn't own any of these things that trade on multiples of sales that either either don't make money or make little money. And again, if I'm these companies, I'm issuing shares as far as the eyes can see up at these prices if I do need cash and live to fight another day. So it's funny that you mentioned that we just really haven't seen too many, too much cash raising. We definitely saw a bunch of insiders selling into the end of last year. Guy, what about energy? This is an area that's obviously massively outperformed this year. Um, You've been all over that. You've been all over the crude breakout, the OIH, the oil services names and the move in Exxon, you know, the largest integrated name that's out of control. I'm just curious if we were to see, 
economic activity slow down, which is what I think we're all in agreement is what the 10 year is kind of telling us. Isn't there a scenario where crude oil comes in? Yeah. Listen, you've said this for a while. And if you look at where Exxon is now, this is where we broke down from three years ago, March of 2019. So this is a logical level to stop. And yes, if economic activity goes down, that will be a headwind. But so much of this CapEx, so much exploration has been stopped that, you know, it's a supply. There's a supply demand dynamic going on here that takes a long time to resolve itself. And I've said this. I'm not the only one that said it. A lot of people say it. The cure for higher prices in commodities are higher prices. And I think that's where we're in the midst of now. So the OIH, which has made a bottom a couple times around 175. We've talked about it. it's been in this sort of 175, 230 range We're at the upper end of that range now. I happen to think it's going to continue to grind higher. I can understand why some would be inclined to take money off the table if you enjoyed the run. But, you know, I don't think this crude uh, story is over by any stretch. And the OPEC plus meetings and all this shit. Listen, the only thing that derailed um, the energy trade in November was Omicron Friday after Thanksgiving and then the subsequent or I don't know it was before or after. It doesn't matter. But the SPR release, which was a joke. So. We, you know, we should be here, and I think we're going higher. Yeah, I just way, that's not a political thing. I can no, give a shit about. Of politics. course, but here's one of the things, guy. I would just say about the the crude oil chart. If you look at it from the bottom left a year ago to the upper right, where it is right now, look at how the volatility bands have been widening a little bit. You know, the peak to trough declines from highs um, have been getting bigger and bigger, and there's been three big ones. The last one, you know, being you know north of twenty five percent. So I think that's something worth keeping an eye on because the next one might be pretty dramatic if there's any reason for it to come in hard. Danny, here's one near and dear to your heart. Um, uh, what about home builders? Um, you know, we've seen like, you know, as the two year went higher, we haven't seen again, the, the commensurate. I mean, we have seen the 30 year mortgage rate hit multi-year highs, I guess. Right. Home builders were trading um, at the start of this year, very near like all time highs. You've seen this pretty sharp, at least as the XXB XHB is concerned, 86 down to 70. Now we had this bounce up to 75 thoughts on that group. And then also banks in general, because all of those earnings are out. I'm just curious what you think here with rate environment. Yeah. I want to make one quick comment on Guy's point. So the person I want to be right now is the portfolio manager in Boston whose benchmark is the S&P 500, who walked in January 1st and said, I'm going to underweight technology and I'm going to overweight energy because their year's done. They've already made their year. Now they can just go benchmark the S&P 500 from here, call it a day. So anyway, I wanted to comment on that. But as it relates no, to the right. builders. I mean, then you, you, then you pull yeah. Dean Smith, man. Then you just go four corners. Four corners, exactly. You go four corners from there. And I, you know, people out there that know that that's how a lot of these portfolio managers get paid on the long only side. Um, as it relates to builders, I mean, pretty much they track the 10 year yields, right? Or wherever the mortgage rates kind of go. And mortgage rates have been rising, as we know, uh, because a lot of the mortgages originate are kind of toward the short end of the curve. And so they're having it. You're having a little bit of an impact there. I mean, how much longer can you have the kind of the move out of the city? So there is a macro part. There's a secular part to the builder play. I get it. Uh, but I think the, you know, the builder's ability to pass on their increased costs of lumber, et cetera. And I get it trades on that too. It trades down on commodities, up and down on commodities as well. I'm not a fan of the builder sector here. I wouldn't short it because I do think there is a secular move there. Um, as it relates to the banks per se, I mean, listen, they had great quarters. Again, if the market stays like this and volatile, I'll say it again, the IPO calendar dwindles a little bit. That's a huge source of revenue for these banks, right? Some are more tilted towards investment banking, some towards the consumer. I think we've seen the peak in consumer credit. I don't think it can get any better 
can potentially get worse. So that tailwind, you know, is is now gone. And the cost, these bonuses that are getting paid now to maintain and, and, you know, keep these bankers from moving around Wall Street, which for the first time in a long time, there's a bidding war, right, for analysts and bankers. That hasn't happened in, in several years. And we're back to kind of 2007, 2008 bonuses for some of the CEOs. So a lot of those fixed comp things, those don't change quickly. So, again, on the margin, I'd be watching, you know, growth in consumer credit. I'd be seeing yeah. if the market stabilizes and get the IPO counter back. But these are utilities and you can own them. The balance sheets are safe. Um, but they're not sexy and energy yeah. right now is sexy. So, yep. anyway. Hey, before we bring Brady Cobb in, um, I want to ask both of you guys this and guy, I want, I want to hear you first here a little bit. Um, you know, we've seen some fairly dramatic uh, moves from some very widely held stocks. And, you know, I go back to the year 2000 when, you know, um, I mean, it seemed like the whole market was made up of mean stocks back then, if you think about it in the late nineties and the early two thousands, but there was a couple huge blowups that after the fact, once we knew the market basically had crashed and we were in a bear market, you could have gone back in six months and, you know, six months out and said, okay, that was it. We should have known right when those numbers. And so there's a couple of, instances last year in the summer guy when we had um you know this huge gap lower in paypal in amazon right on their q2 results and their q3 earnings and then when we got to q3 earnings snapchat sold off 25 percent, right in one fell swoop and then this year just this quarter so far we saw netflix down 25 percent after their earnings we're seeing paypal down 26 percent in one fell swoop Guys, are we on the precipice of something? And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not trying to like, you know, freak anybody out here. But when you have those sorts of stories, or those sorts of stories get marked down like that, and then you look at the devastation that's gone on in names like Zoom, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Are we on the precipice of something bigger here? Are we whistling I've, I've past heard, the graveyard? You know, everything you say is accurate. I've thought that for a while, incorrectly, by the way. I mean, when the, when the basically. The structure that's been built, this high-rise apartment building that gets higher each day, is built effectively on three or four different names that are carrying all the load. And then you start to chip away one by one. It's just a matter of time before some storm comes along and knocks the whole effing thing down. It hasn't happened. So these warriors, these generals, whatever you want to call these names, continue to perform. By the way, understandably so, in this environment, the, the rich get richer. And that's what we're seeing with these big name stocks. But it's just a matter of time, um, in my opinion, before everything you just talked about comes home to roost in the form of the broader market. Yeah, I echo those comments. And I also would just say Brady's finally here. I also would just say that um, when just when I think the market's going to be rational, um, you know, you see news like AMC come out. Um, the reason they put out those numbers for Q4 was so that they could issue new new debt right so they're just trying to just kick the can down the road which they should be doing to lower their interest but stock trades up 15 percent on that right pulls in this is a company with 5.5 billion in debt you know who i want to own for spider-man sony pictures they had a good quarter they have a good balance sheet and they get the benefit of spider-man so as long as i keep think, seeing things like that i know we're not near the bottom dan so that's kind of how i look at it but we got brady on here and if you want me to kind of set the stage intro here. brady yeah tell everyone who he is just so you know brady um 
Danny, Danny Brady and I had dinner in Miami a couple weeks ago at Coat, and I'm going to Coat, New York tonight, uh, gentlemen. So I know you're just kind of licking your lips a little bit here. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to pay for the one in Miami. So, Dan, thanks again for that. But, <laughs> well, uh, listen, I'm yeah. down 10 dimes to you. You're, what, are yeah. you now, what, what is your record in the NFL, Danny, now? Is it 29 and 5 20, or something? No, I lost the game and pushed one. But anyway, let's get okay. to this stuff because this All is right. better. Introduce anyway, so, Brady. Yeah, so Brady Cobb needs no introduction, but I'll just – introduce him um he's been around the cannabis sector for you know a decade now more than that obviously if you include when he wasn't doing it legally um came from a great background um that led him to this point um you know his father was involved in the cannabis industry when it wasn't when it was frowned upon in the 70s and that kind of led him to become a lawyer and vindicate everything that his father stood for but in doing that he built a two companies one he just sold to cresco labs last year bloomer wellness down in florida for over 200 million dollars He's looking to do something like that again. But more importantly, he's an advocate for the industry, um, and he, he's in Washington a lot. And there's been a lot of developments, you know, over the last six months, people paying attention. And he can talk about that. There was an update there. And then also I want to get Brady's thoughts on we saw some mergers, uh, M&A activity in the space just yesterday. Uh, Verano acquiring what was formerly known as Virio, goodness health. Um, I think we're just going to start to see more of that, too. So. Brady, uh, without further introduction, love to hear your thoughts on kind of that stuff. So, yeah, no, thanks, Danny, and uh, yeah, Dan Nathan, great dinner by the way. Uh, you know, NFL picks. I don't know where you guys are at on the Super Bowl, but whenever that bet gets paid, count me in. I want to be there for dinner. I think we should have Guy along too. I don't think it was right just to call in with him. I agree. Uh, Thank you, Brady Cobb. By the way, those that don't know, Brady's another just sexy man. Anyway, back to you. I appreciate that. Uh, so here's where we're at. I mean, look, Safe Banking Act. We I, I came on this the show a few times, both the podcast and this trading spaces back in the fall when Safe was making its fifth attempt at getting passed as part of this NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. Senator Schumer uh, obviously took the air out of that balloon um, and and did not let the bill go through. But if you remember, there was a House Rules Committee where Senator or Representative Perlmutter, who's the champion of the bill ultimately was going to try to reintroduce it and was told to stand down by leadership at Schumer's request. And then he vowed in the hearing and immediately thereafter that he was going to take every step possible up and through his announced retirement at the end of this congressional session at the end of this year to get it passed. Well, he's a man of his word. Uh, He had it added on uh, via the Rules Committee uh, to the uh, America Competes Act, which is another must-pass um, it, it was deemed to be in order by the Rules Committee yesterday. Uh, it will go to a House floor vote where it's expected to pass and become a part of the bill. There's a Senate version of the bill as well where we'll set up this same discussion on whether Senate leadership, uh, Majority Leader Schumer, will ultimately block it. Um, there's a couple of interesting things in play. One of the things I think everyone's kind of picked up on the fact that Senator Schumer largely deferred to Senator Booker, and Senator Booker is an outspoken advocate for social equity in the cannabis space, uh, which I wholeheartedly agree with. But, you know, they're also needing and staring at the fact that they need to get a win here relatively soon before they head into what's going to be a lame duck session as they tee up these going to be very volatile midterms. So SAFE is there again. It presents another opportunity to potentially get passed. We are, I can tell you, without going into too much detail, I've been working with the NCR and and Weldon Angeles and others on a myriad of options uh, for social equity that do not require congressional action. Um, You're not going to reveal the details of those yet, but we've been active at work, including being on the phone with Senator Booker's team the day after safe banking failed 
and kind of the Danny, Danny, I know you, you've weighed in on your thoughts, but in my mind, safe banking ultimately does pass. And there's there's been lots of folks talking about that. They believe that it will both industry insiders like me, as well as legislators that passes. That kind of opens up that wall of capital in the U.S. that's been on the sidelines from a custodial standpoint and or from a compliance standpoint, because it'll provide the safe harbor necessary to avoid the anti-money laundering. It's a big re-rate opportunity. And then it's a it, it's a stepping stone to potential U.S. uplistings. Um, you're also going to see, I believe, the introduction of the Moore Act in the Senate, uh, which it has you know that it's only been a House bill thus far. So I think over the next call it between now and Memorial Day weekend, you're going to see a period of activity across all legislative matters because it's, it's largely been a do nothing Congress thus far. But they got to get some wins in the books before they head off to campaign for the midterms. So it's kind of that moment to chap, uh, strap the chin straps on put your helmet on and it's go time uh, to, to kind of see, you know, across a myriad of things, you know, BBB that was, you know, Manchin weighed in yesterday that that's not coming back, but there's a bunch of legislative priorities at the president's desk, cannabis and otherwise that are going to get, going to get pushed here as we head into an increased period of legislative activity ahead of what will be a big campaign couple of months ahead of the midterm. So Danny, I don't know how you see it, but I think it's, everyone needs to pay attention, not just to cannabis, but broader market issues that bills could affect because it's going to be a busy time. Yeah. There's a wall of money waiting. And as a matter of fact, while we're waiting, um, you're now seeing um, debt at 8%, 9% um, coming to some of these big multi-state operators. And so they're not waiting and that's down from let's call it 11, 12% a year ago. So you're already, and that's with a rising rate environment, if you want to call it that. So there's more money coming off the sidelines, but there's more money looking for a true excuse and protection from the government to come off the sidelines. And when that does happen, I think we're off to the races. And what's happening now is I think we're going on this next iteration of M&A activity where companies that are have a solid balance sheet, able to raise the money, can start to buy some of these smaller companies, which may not have the growth capital that they need, but have an incredible footprint. So we've become asset plays to some of these. And we saw one of them happen yesterday, and I fully expect there to be several more. And Brady, just if you want to talk about that for a second, I think you'll start to see, and it's much more discerning now. It's like people want New York, people want Florida, people want, you know, states that they want comfort in, right? Where they're not just going in and spending recklessly. So I think we're going to keep seeing that as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, you saw the Verano deal. And it's, not, uh, it's, it's on my follow my Twitter feed. I'm a huge fan of Verano. They're one of the best, in my opinion, the best operator in the space. You know, look at their EBITDA margins compared to everybody else. A lot of people post a big top line number. George Archos, Sammy Dorf, they know how to run a really good business and they, they're building a monster. And for them to pick off New York, uh, pick off one of two in Minnesota, uh, Maryland, add to their Pennsylvania portfolio and a very what I think was a very good price tag. I think it's just a signal you're going to see a lot more of that from an M&A perspective as the industry consolidates. There's a lot of tier threes and tier twos out there. Operators that, you know, these tier ones have lowered their cost of capital to such a level that they can go and utilize their currency, uh, their paper currency to go and, and, and add and kind of set themselves up before we look at a potential federal catalyst. Um, and I think you're going to see that continue. And I think once that federal wall comes down, you'll see it not just happening from the cannabis industry, but you're going to start seeing some of the alcohol tobacco companies initially will be the first two over the wall, in my opinion, that'll start looking at making bids in this space. You can't deny the size of the market, how it's growing, both from an incremental standpoint of new patients coming on board uh, anecdotally and or via the research. But you're going to see, you know, this is a CPG category that no matter what their stock price is, and Danny, you and I were talking about it this morning. I mean, you look at some of these these companies, they're not even trading at two to three times their EBITDA. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And these are businesses that are generating EBITDA 
while they have a draconian 62 to 63 percent effective tax rate between federal and state because of 280E. So as you see this federal law potentially shift a little bit, these businesses, the ones that are cashed up with good cost of capital, you're going to I think you're going to see the M&A activity from a strategic standpoint start to kick up a little bit, too. Awesome, Brady. I don't know if Dan and Guy have any follow. I know Guy's really into the sector, so you know. Guy, I've never, think? I've never puffed the magic dragon, <laughs> nor will I ever. But it does not mean I frown upon the. But that's the good. You. Yeah, We're but converting that, you. But Brady, isn't yeah. that the good news that he doesn't have to puff anything? You just kind of partake, you know. And there's a lot Take of things. Guy, when you think about some of the things that ail you physically, there's got to be some sort of combination between CBD and THC that would just really kind of take take some of those edges off. Let's just maybe we'll just leave it at that. Well, listen, Brady, you and Danny, um, the two of you guys should have a podcast together and just cover this stuff on a weekly basis. Wouldn't that make some sense, guy? Yeah, it's in motion. You know, we we always want to start it and then something happens. But yes, we will definitely be doing that. So. Well, listen, Brady, you're you're the man. Um, you were uh, you showed great hospitality when I found my way into Fort Lauderdale down there to see you and Danny, and we had a great night out in Miami. So we really appreciate your insights here on trading spaces. And, you know, you can always come back here, man. Um, We'd love to hear what you got to say, and we're tracking your space. Um, And I know a lot of our our listeners really care about it too. So thank you, Danny. Thanks for this emergency trading spaces with what we think is an important day in the market, despite the major indices um, being green. Guy and I want to thank you for joining us on trading spaces. If you came in late, we will put this in our podcast feed so check it out people check us out uh, on the tape this week also sponsored by cme group we're going to have jeff richards of ggv capital he is an excellent uh, technology investor in the private markets and he's going to help us think a little bit about some of these public market valuations that we were just talking about and some of these uh, SAS names. Uh, and then Danny has a whole laundry list of stuff that he did not get to today that we're going to talk about. So that drops Friday morning in the podcast store. So thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks, Brady. Thanks, Danny and Guy. I'll see you a bit later. Thanks, guys. <laughs>